So we're doing something here at Family Bible this, this Advent season. We're actually acknowledging Advent. I've, I've forgotten again to do this over here. Um, I'll see if I can get close to this without sending things crazy. And then Fred decided to make it really challenging on me and give me matches today to work with. <laughs> so we are actually on the... There's one. Let's see how we can do this. We're on not the first week of Advent here. Thank you, Matthew, for keeping me under control here. And not the second week. That was last week. This is actually the third Sunday today in Advent. <laughs> and uh, look at that. I did it with one match. How exciting is that? We're going to have one more, uh, the tw 20th, next week, which is our, our fourth Sunday. And then we're going to have that service on Christmas Eve. And we're going we're to remember this time of waiting for, for Jesus. And we talked about last week about what this means to wait for the Christ, to wait for Messiah to come. And so we're spending these few weeks actually reflecting on Advent, but maybe in a way that not, we're not used to. And we're taking part in something called Advent Conspiracy. And I want to just straight up, I didn't think this up. This is a bunch of folks throughout the country doing the same thing this Advent season. It's a way to remember Christ in spite of maybe the culture that's saying, Jesus who? Christ what? You know, and we all maybe get rankled a little bit this time of year if we're sensitive to that. And yet, it's not a time. It's a time of waiting for Jesus, of waiting for Christ. Advent means the appearance, as we talked about last week, the coming of the Lord. I love the song that we just sang, because not the one we just sang, but the one before that, because it was about waiting for the return of the King. And that baby who came 2,000 years ago is coming back to rule. And uh, what an exciting place this is to be, to be able to be expectantly waiting yet while we know him here on earth. So this is what we're doing here at Family Bible Church. I, I do have to start off by saying this. Apparently, some of you last week thought I was really hard on the fat guy in the red suit. I don't mean Captain Kangaroo. Was his suit red? Uh, uh, apparently, of everything else I said last week, and, and I probably said a lot, right? Someone said, man, Santa, huh? You know, hope you don't come to our house. You know, like I'm the Santa inspector now. You know, everyone's like, hide the Santa Claus, this bill's coming. I mean, come on, that, that's ridiculous, right? As a matter of fact, the big guy and I have a pretty good relationship, you know. But I didn't really mean to be very ornery to Santa. But I do wonder sometimes about what we make Christmas about. And it's a bigger deal for those of us who claim Christ than anyone else. It's a bigger deal in our households than anyone else's. And so much of the time, we concern ourselves with, with making someone else do the right thing, making someone else be obedient. And yet, I find Scripture saying to us, uh, you know Jesus. What's your excuse? Let's make it right first at home. And so this, and this is a, a series where we're going to talk about four things here, this Advent conspiracy. And last week, we talked about worshiping fully. And this week, we're going to talk about spending less which I said I'm hesitant to talk about because of our economy right now, but spending less, we're going to talk about what that means, giving more, and loving all. Those are the four weeks we're going to be talking about together. So it's a weird thing right now economically because for many of us, maybe for the first time in a year and a half, you're starting to see movement financially. You're starting to see maybe your company's starting to get orders coming in, or maybe you're starting to see business pick up again. Or we're starting to see people spending for the holiday season. And, and it's easy to see that stuff and, and want to not upset the apple cart. Like, whatever comes, we have to keep, you know, don't, don't make a mess. The Advent conspiracy thing has been going on for three years. It started in 2006, actually. And 
it's been growing every year, this kind of movement away from the commercialization of Christmas for those of us who profess Jesus as Lord, and, and a movement towards really what Christmas should be about for us. So I hope you can go there with us. And so this week we're talking about spending less. And it, it means exactly what it says it means. Uh, it means to, to not be excessive this Christmas season with our giving, or our purchasing, I should say. One of the things that I was reminded of this week, and I'm not sure if you have these um, in your house or not, but a, a great way to have a, a, a really awesome fight is to get out like a credit card statement and go through it with someone else who's in charge of finances in your house. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've had a really good, you know, fight, <laughs> but if you want one, just find something that you guys, even if you've maybe agreed on kind of doing it, just find something that now that, you know, times are tight and, the, you know, the, the question is, you know, what are we doing for Christmas for this person or that person? Just start to have the conversation with somebody in your household about um, finances. And boy, very quickly, as cautious as you are, you can find yourself, maybe you're not like me, right in the middle of a huge fight about money. I mean, and it's no, it's just the blows our mind. Here we are, we're waiting for Christ, we're waiting for Messiah, we're expecting his arrival, we're celebrating Jesus, and right in the middle of it, we just have this obnoxious money argument, right? So it's a season of high stress that we impose on ourselves, and, and maybe even with the last 18 months of the economy, this one's worse than others because you start to, to wonder, what can we do? Maybe last year was the year where you said that. And today I want to encourage us to think, instead of thinking, what, what can't we do because of our situation? I, I'm actually wondering, what opportunities does this present to us to rethink Christmas? You could want no better excuse than what you have, we have right now with the economic climate to not spend too much. That's that simple, to not, not overdo it this year. In years past, the money was uh, easy and cheap and quick, and we, we, we wanted to show love, and so we would spend and spend. If you've known me for long, you've heard me probably talk about Dave Ramsey, and I'll just mention him here because it comes to mind anytime we're talking about spending and, and things like that. And this isn't like, uh, I don't want to be like, what was it, the, um, not the Scrooge. Was it the Scrooge? No, who was the guy, the old miser, right, who would like, no Christmas turkeys or whatever, you know? I'm not saying that, but, but there's something about the holidays become excessive, and excessive to the point of expectation from us, that what we should do to show love. And Dave Ramsey, in his instruction on financial responsibility for households, for families, especially those who are after Jesus Christ and who read the Word of God and believe what it says, he says, the best vacations are the ones that don't follow you home. He means if you go on vacation, hopefully that money isn't going to have to be paid for later, but before you go. Hopefully there's been a plan in place that allows you to take that without guilt or have that follow you home. And I think the same is true for Christmas. As a matter of fact, one of the stories I read last, this last week was this. Everyone's excited. I mean, if you watch TV, everyone's excited because the holiday spending's been good, right? Spending is up, and it's a good thing. One of the things that I heard is that department credit cards are just going through the roof. Department store credit cards, right? And this would be like a JCPenney's, a Sears, those type of, what else would it be? Kohl's. Um, like every place you go, they kind of have their own credit card, right? Those are on the rise like crazy. And so financial analysts are want to know what's going on with the, why are those on the rise this year? Whereas like, you know, MasterCard, Visa are kind of flat. And this is what I actually heard in this article and it blew me away. 
Retail credit card charges are up. And the answer was why was this by a financial expert. They said, conventional lines of, quote, unsecured personal loans, unquote, are stressed to the max. The, the reason that department store credit cards are going crazy right now is because the MasterCard and the Visa are either maxed out, okay, and I want you to know I'm not preaching against you if you're in this place in life. That's a very hard place to be. But they're either maxed out or, and this is the kicker, people are reserving the MasterCard and Visa for stuff they can't buy at like a Penny's or a Sears, and they're using the cards there to buy those things. Just by their own definition, unsecured debt or unsecured personal loans means it's something you don't have collateral for. You're just hoping they'll pay for it in the future. It's a, buy a t-shirt, a pair of jeans, uh, whatever it is, you know, a, a new DVD player or a, a flat screen TV. These are things that you bank the future on playing for, paying for. Now, here's the problem. There's a symptom that happens um, called the January, well, I called it this, the January blahs, right? It's this time in January <laughs> where Christmas is great. And then those credit card statements come in and just go, Oh no, the bill has come. You know, I mean, and it's just amazing to me that when those things come in, we're just so shocked that the bill showed up in January again. I, I didn't know it was coming this year. I, I thought this was the New Year's resolution to be financially responsible. And then the rug gets jerked out from under you January 22nd when your credit card statement comes in the mail, right? It's this idea that we postpone paying for something that should be paid for now. And, um, and it's kind of going crazy. So that's kind of what the, the focus is today. But I, I don't want to just stand up here and tell you what I think, because, I mean, it doesn't really matter what I think. I do want us to get into the Word a little bit and find out about this whole gift-giving thing and, and where its roots are a little bit. And uh, that's in the Word of God. So as we open it this morning, I would invite you to pray with me as we open the Word. Father, this morning we come into your house and we come praising your name. We come confessing the, the, the baby born in a manger, that that is what Christmas is about for us as believers in Jesus. And there's a lot of things that's about this season for a lot of people. But Lord, for us, it's about you. And so in that way, Lord, we're coming this morning to you, to your word, uh, to your spirit, to reveal the truth of the season to us. And maybe we need to be chastised, so we'll take that. Maybe we need to be rebuked, we'll take that. Yet, we ask that you would encourage us through your spirit, that you're not taking something from us, but giving us an opportunity. And so, may we praise you and worship you this morning. May our minds be open to your word, our hearts to its truth, that we could be uh, conformed, transformed by the renewing of our minds, Lord, and, and be conformed to your word instead of uh, conforming to the world. We love you and thank you. We would not be here were it not for the first Christmas. We would not be here were it not for Jesus. And so we give you praise and glory and thanks in his name. We pray these prayers over this time. Trusting your spirit. In the name of Christ, amen. So the first one we're going to pull up here is actually uh, going to be this origin of gift giving, right? This is kind of where it all starts. And actually, uh, you did some research. You can find this yourself. But I just want to, and we read this last week, but I want to start here. And it's, it's in the book of Matthew. And if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, I hope you would bring your Bible. If you didn't bring one, there's one on the end of the rows of the seats next to you. I would encourage you to grab one and just, and just read along with us as we study this uh, word together. I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to talk about one particular place here. And it's not going to be any shock to you where this comes from. But this is what the word says. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, 
Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. And we talked about last week about what that worship looked like for those Magi when they met Jesus, the one who was born king of the Jews. Verse 9, skip ahead with me if you would, to verse 9. After they heard the king, that was King Herod, not King Jesus, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen rise in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed, right? They just were bursting with joy. And on coming into the house, they saw a child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And then they opened their gifts and treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And so this is the story that we hear of these, these magi from the east, these astrologers, these wise men who are sent to find this prophetic um, Messiah that was coming to the Jews. And so they show up, and, and the, what they do is they offer a gift. And if you actually look at the roots of gift giving, it's rooted in the scripture right here. It's rooted in this idea that this is a time of celebration, of, of bringing gifts, of giving good tidings and, and things to those who we love, right? So it's a good thing. Now, I would say in this text, these aren't ordinary gifts that they give them. And this is a whole other study, and we're not going to get into it this morning. But this gold, incense, and myrrh are frankincense, as we all know, right? The only reason you know those three words is because of the Christmas story, because they're very rare. Gold, well, gold's rare these days, right? Frankincense and myrrh are just as rare as gold, uh, maybe more rare than gold. And so these things were brought to him, and they weren't just ordinary gifts. These were, these were gifts, in some ways they're ordinary, and in some ways they were extraordinary for a king. All kinds of connotations in Scripture there. But I just want you to know that these gifts were presented to Jesus at his coming, right? Someone said to me, and this is the thing, uh, and we actually had... Next week, we'll actually, you'll see it next week. But some of these things, these, these stories that we tell each other at Christmas time aren't exactly biblical. They're just not really based in Scripture. They're based in tradition and other things. But one of them is, one of those facts is the kind of the way this, these wise men come and, and give these gifts to the, Jesus. But they are recorded there for us to know. Because it was the birth of Jesus that they were celebrating, right? That's why they were coming with these gifts. That's why they brought them. And that's a big deal. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So the second thing, so the first is the origin of the gifts. The second is this, though, because I've been kind of hard already. And you guys may have already gone out. Black Friday was great. You know what I mean? The credit card's already maxed out. You know, I, but I want to kind of get to this next part here because I want you to see something that Jesus said, which actually affirms the idea of gift giving. Right? And here's the question. Who, who said, oh, I just said it. I'm so bad at these quizzes. Did you see what I just did again? <laughs> <laughs> Who said this? <laughs> you guys are so smart. <laughs> yeah. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Where did he say it? Oh, the Beatitudes. That's a good guess. Anyone else? Uh, see, I, I still got you. I still tricked you. I don't know if it's in the Beatitudes or not, Steve. We're going to turn to the book of Acts to find it. Acts 20, verse 35. I'm going to read a little bit around it there. Not just verse 35, but I just want to kind of, that's the focus. This is what Paul, Paul actually says. He attributes these words to Jesus. And we all know these words, but many of us don't even know where they come from. People in the world would even know. It's more blessed to give than receive. Paul says this in verse 32. Now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul attributes these words to Jesus as a good thing, a good and noble thing to give gifts. So here, already we can see that the wise men gave gifts to Jesus on his birthday, that Jesus said himself, it's a good thing to give and not to receive. As a matter of fact, some of you brought gifts today for the adoptive families, and that's a good thing that Christ is saying that's a good thing to do. And so here we have affirmation that giving gifts is a good thing, right? So what's the, what's the trouble? What's the trouble? Well, here, here, giving gifts is good. We got that. Here is the trouble for us. The problem is in our, our giving, the way we do it. And I, I think there's two fundamental questions. And the first is this. Who is the gift for? And the second is um, who is it from, right? Or what is the intent of the gift? So there's this really cool story. And I don't know if you've heard it or not. Um, it's actually called The Gift of the Magi. Have y'all heard the story of the gift of the Magi? Anybody? Yeah, somebody, yeah, Matthew's in the back. Good. The gift of the Magi, you've probably heard it and maybe you didn't know the name of it, but it's the story of a young couple who are flat broke, right? And Christmas comes around and they want to get something for their, the person they love. And so they just, they're, how do I do this? Because we're both broke and we don't have anything. And, and so the, the guy, he has this prized watch, right? And he loves this watch. It's a family heirloom. It's really important to him. And so his wife decides she wants to get him a chain for the watch so he can wear it because he can't wear it because he'll lose it. So she can give him a chain for his watch. His wife has beautiful hair. It says hair down to her knees, the short story tells us, right? And he, he loves his wife's hair and he wants her to enjoy it. And so he decides he'll give her this beautiful comb for her hair. Have you heard the story now? Are you all with me? See, some of you now are like, yeah, I've heard this story. Right. So how does the story unfold? It goes like this. He goes and he pawns his watch to buy a comb. Right? And she goes and cuts off her hair and sells it to make wigs to get him a chain. And they have this Christmas morning experience where they exchange gifts and they're overjoyed. What? <laughs> They're overjoyed because they get this gift that costs so much from the person who loved them. And this place, this guy, he gets this useless chain. He has no watch. And she gets this comb and she has no hair. But in that place of giving that type of gift, they know love. They know each other. And they know what it costs. And so this story kind of tells us something about gift giving that I think scripture tells us before, which is that it costs something to give a gift. As a matter of fact, my favorite thing about the story, and we're talking about today, is spending less, is that it was paid for. I mean, how would that story go if they had credit cards? <laughs> you know, they went and charged it <laughs> and they got the bill in January <laughs> and they were thrown out of the flat. <laughs> You know, had a fight about the statement. I don't know how the story goes if that happens, but it's not the same story. It was paid for. As a matter of fact, these gifts took sacrifice. It was something that was very near and dear to them. So the first is that it cost them something. It was paid for. And the second is that 
It was given to the object of their affection, some, some person they really deeply cared about. I would even add something here that um, it requires some knowledge about what the person desires. You know, one of the ironies to me about Christmas time for us, who are great gift givers, is that we then see each other in the refund or the return lines after Christmas. Do you even want those kind of gifts anymore? Are you at a point in your life where you're like, just, if you don't know, just don't even give it to me. I don't need it. I don't need the headache of it. It becomes more of a burden than a blessing. And yet we do that to each other. So here's the thing, and this is what, this is what I want to talk about today. So the word actually says something about this, uh, our, our, the issues that we have with giving. And the first is that, is that um, let's see, it's not paid for usually. Right? And this is what we're going to try to get around this morning. So I want you to turn real quick in your Bibles with me. I want you to show you this little verse here. It's Proverbs 22, and I want you to look at it with me because it's really telling. Some of you know this, especially if you've gone through Financial Peace University, you know this verse, you've memorized this verse. I'm just going to read the verse, and I want to read a little bit around it because I think it's very instructive as well. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom handed down uh, from our Jewish roots. And it says in verse 7, Chapter 22 of Proverbs. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. And that one little verse should really matter to us as believers. That anytime we are in debt to someone for anything, we are a slave to that person or that company or that whoever. And therefore, they kind of own us in some way. That's why we have fights over credit card statements because we are enslaved to pay that back. I want you to look around that verse with me, though, real quick. Just starting in verse 6. We know this one. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not turn from it. Isn't it funny? That comes right before the Proverbs says, uh, says to us, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. What lessons do we teach our children this time of year? There is no such thing as excess. Sky is the limit. You know, what lessons are we teaching our children? Some of the most terrifying conversations I've had, I mean, terrifying from the parents' perspective and mine, is that people will say, like, we say it. What will our kids think on Christmas morning? I don't know. What should they think on Christmas morning? Should they know that it's been a really bad year? But man, Santa came. <laughs> Did you know what I mean? Isn't that insane? What are we teaching our children about our indebtedness, about borrowing things that we are not yet repaid? And then this, right below it, it says, I'll read verse 8 just to be, you know, follow up here. It says, he who sows wickedness reaps trouble, and the rod of his fury will be destroyed. Verse 9, a generous man will himself be blessed because he shares his food with the poor. In those four verses, there's this kind of whole life philosophy caught up on what it means to, to give, to be a giver of gifts, and also to not be indebted uh, to anyone to give them. So, that proverb, if you've been in financial peace, that's like a key verse to that, is that the rich rule over the poor and the debtor is slave to the lender. I want you to think about that. Maybe as you're getting out the card and you're ready to buy some crazy, crazy gift because you love somebody, I get that. By the way, if you want to read more on debt, there's a few more uh, verses. There's a lot more, actually, but it's, it's not. It's kind of the vibe of what God thinks of debt. Uh, it's in Deuteronomy 28. 
And this verse is 1, 12, 43, and 45. We're not going to cover them right now. But it's the idea that, that debt isn't a blessing. The freedom that you find in that Chase Manhattan credit card is not God's ordination for a blank check for you. It's not his blessing being rained down in heaven. And, and if you think it is, I would encourage you to read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28 a little bit. Because it actually instructs Israel on what it's going to feel like to have God's blessing or, or not. And um, that's not what it feels like to be in debt. So the first is that the gift is paid for. A gift is paid for in full. So um, that's one thing we should be striving to. We shouldn't be going in debt. The second is this. Uh, the problem that we have is that it neglects the gift, or it creates the gift as the treasure, right? By following this path of excessive Christmas giving, we completely remove Jesus from the throne of worship and authority for the day. The trouble is we aren't honest about it. They did a survey, they said, ask, any, you know, people, adults debate on what Christmas is about, but they said, if you ask any child, they'll tell you. Presents. <laughs> They're not deceived. Why are we? It turns the gift into the ultimate treasure of the holiday. I said earlier, I'm not sure if you guys have that. Uh, I can tell you our house, we, we struggle. We agonize as parents over this question. Will there be enough gifts under the tree. I mean, agonize over it. Will it look excessive enough? Can we put a box in a box in a box in a box so it looks like a lot? And every time we do that, we betray the one the holiday is about. I'm not saying we shouldn't give things, but we have to give rightly. We have to have the right approach and it has to be that Christ is the treasure, that Jesus is the treasure of Christmas, and that we celebrate this holiday because of him. And everything else, everything else is a blessing. I want to show you something in the book of Luke. Turn with me, if you would, Luke chapter 12. It's on page 724. And we're, going to do, we're just going to stop here. Two more texts, but they're right here together. 31 through 34. Jesus is teaching his disciples about stuff, about how you should deal with stuff, you know. This is the one who the wise men came and laid down gifts for. And this is what it says. But seek his kingdom, Jesus says, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased, listen, to give you the kingdom of God. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is the real problem if we make Christmas about excessive presence, if we make it about spending more, doing more, bigger, more, faster, is that it feels good for the moment. And I'll even say, if you've got a storehouse full of stuff, there's a whole, by the way, I, I, right before this, there's a story about a storehouse that you can read. It's actually one of the next steps if you want to do it this week, to read the story. But even if you have excess, it doesn't mean to use that um, to, to undermine Christ.
Christ in the season is the right thing to do, right? He says, seek first this kingdom and all these things will be added to you as well. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this, again, is one of those key verses of our lives. That the things that we value the most will be where we put our heart. That's what we'll do automatically. It follows it. And so the things that we treasure the most is where our hearts will be as well. And Jesus says that. He also has some other things in there we can talk about some other time about, you know, giving to the poor. I mean, giving gifts, and next week we're going to talk about that a little bit too, giving gifts to folks who can't give back. That's the kind of giving that honors God. Providing purses for yourselves that don't wear out, where moth can't destroy and, and thieves can't break in and steal. The memory verse this week is the other iteration of this passage in Matthew, so I'd encourage you, if you don't know that verse, to memorize it this week as well. We find the same thing in the Magi's gifts uh, that we talked about earlier. Whenever they come and they see Jesus and they know he's the Messiah, they bow down and they worship him and they give him gifts. These gifts were costly to them. And they give these gifts to him for adoration. They give these gifts to affirm, to glorify, to magnify. And somehow we've turned this holiday that's about Christ coming into about us getting stuff. And I just don't want us to do that anymore. As much as we're able, and I do it as much as anybody, believe me, this whole week has been a torture almost because it just, you know, ask Chris, are you kidding me? We have so much. And it's so easy to get caught up in buying more, spending more, and miss the point of the season altogether. The second, I would say, is even like it where Paul talks about his gifts to the poor when he says, I've labored that I might provide for others, right? We read that earlier from the book of Acts. Just like Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive. Paul was showing his heart for the poor, his heart for those who have nothing. Many of you are from that heart this Christmas season, and I think that's a beautiful thing. The last I want to read here, it's the last part of the Christmas story, and we're going to close with this. It's in the second chapter of Luke. And this is a story that we all know, and we're just going to read a little bit of it here. It's the birth of Jesus. I'm going to start in verse 8. It says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, this is the other part of the story, right? The birth of Christ. But this angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared to, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And there's this revelation to these shepherds who are tending their flocks, right? But what's amazing to me is actually in verse 11, which I think I've, I've talked about already, but verse 11 says that today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. 
When these shepherds first heard the Christmas story, they didn't respond like the Magi where they brought gifts. That they responded as a way of receiving. The question that we have to ask as we celebrate the birth of Christ isn't where are our gifts going, but what is motivating the gifts that we're giving? The question that I ask myself for this is, how did Jesus give? How did Jesus give? And from the first Christmas, from the first appearance on earth, the angels said, today, a baby, a savior is born to you. To you. Jesus gave himself. And we know he gave himself on the cross later in life. But even in his coming, in his advent, in his appearing, he gave himself. So I want to encourage you, now that I've probably, I don't know how you're feeling right now, um, I hope you're not too discouraged. I really do. Because I want to tell you that there are ways that we can give this holiday season, this Christmas season, that are glorifying to God. But here's the catch. Maybe giving like Jesus takes more time than money. Maybe giving like Jesus takes more effort with someone that you love than shopping. And believe me, shopping is a pain, right? Maybe it takes more thought than you're used to. Maybe it takes more of a relationship than you've been comfortable with. My encouragement to you is not to not give this season, but to give like Jesus gave, to give relationally. To give yourself to someone. Whatever that looks like. If it's time with your spouse, if it's time with your kids. Whew, you know, those gifts don't fit under the tree. Let's pray. Father, today we come uh, just humbled by you and humbled by your word. And uh, we pray that you would guide us into um, right living, into that place where you're calling us to be yours. We remember those Magi who came bearing gifts to Christ, and we pray, Lord, that your spirit would compel us to bring our gifts to him as well, that we would come and lay them down, things that cost us a lot, and give them to Jesus. And then we pray in our discipleship that we learn to be like him, giving ourselves to one another. Teach us, Lord, not to be a... Um, a people who are cheap, a people who are um, frivolous. But teach us to be a people of substance. We love you and thank you. And today, Lord, we, we do remember the birth, and we also remember the death. And, you know, we, we come before you not because we have any right to stand with you, Lord, but because of your holiness, your righteousness, and the price you paid on the cross. In every way, Jesus, we confess you've given to us. We thank you for the gift. Pray this season be about you, this time be about you, and as we sing a uh, response of now to you, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified, that we would give ourselves to you today. We love you and thank you. Amen.